I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you Shots. like. What a stop! Just for Ben! Oh! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it's been, we're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance, flat. No. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Well, something... We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over. All right, you're very welcome along to the Friday Football Podcast. It's been a while since we've been uh, with you. We've only done a couple this season, so I will start out with an apology on behalf of myself and the rest of the Friday Football team for not giving you more Friday Football goodness over the last little while. But uh, as always, we will endeavour to bring that to you over the next bit. My name is Adrian Barry, and alongside me in the studio uh, for today's podcast is nobody else. And that is the level of commitment you're dealing with around here. I'm flying solo for the next little while, um, but we will uh, we have a celebrity guest joining us on the uh, phone lines very shortly, so bear with us uh, for that. In terms of coverage and off the ball this weekend, from a football perspective, obviously the Rugby World Cup is out there, but as we know, sports fans only watch one sport at a time. They're never into other sports, so I'm not going to only talk about the Rugby World Cup today. Um, but... On Saturday, we're going to have all the goals as usual for you over the course of the afternoon. We'll have all the very best to build up as well uh, from 2 o'clock. Scene sets from around the grounds. Team news as well from our reporters. Emmett Malone of the Irish Times will be joining us in studio. Ray Houghton will be with us to analyse events after 5 o'clock and so much more as well over the course of Saturday. And then on Sunday, we hope to have Kevin Caban in studio with us uh, to chat all things football alongside Joe. And lots of interesting topics as well developing over the last little while. Uh, Chelsea and Liverpool have been emerging stories of the last little bit. One club maybe seems to have got things right and the other one seems to be very much continuing in its trend of uh, becoming unstuck. So let's get into things. Uh, we're just going to make a quick call here. Get our celebrity uh, guest for the day on the line. Uh-uh. Just dialing the number. <coughs> do, do, do. Hi, this is Nathan Murphy. Oh, Sorry, well, I couldn't listen. get to your call. If you leave a message, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thanks. Nathan, this is Adrian, your uh, Friday Football Podcast colleague. You are not answering the phone. It's now a minute past our agreed time of contact. And I'm here on my own uh, for the Friday Football Podcast. That has This is not a setup. This has not been arranged. You were due to answer the call. Answer the Answer your phone. Right, we seem to be getting another call through here. Hi, this is... Hello? Adrian. How's it going? Who are you looking for? Uh, This is News Talk. Yeah. All right, no worries, cheers, bye. All right, just trying his mobile here, see can we get him this direction? He recognises the call these celebrities and I like to answer unknown numbers. Hi. Ah! Right, well, we will just sit here and sit it out. Oh, hang on, hang on. Here we go. 
Nathan. Yeah, you're live here on the Friday Football Podcast. What's your What's happening? Uh, give me two minutes. Right. Someone in with you? No. <laughs> all right. I don't want you yeah. laughing about. It. I'm sitting there on my own. Right, I just want to apologise uh, to regular downloaders and listeners and all that sort of thing to the uh, pod. It's very disappointing, the level of commitment from the rest of the team. Uh, there's no Dave McIntyre. He is at the uh, Rugby World Cup, which I said I wouldn't mention again, but there we go uh, for the next little while. And uh, no Jared Gilroy this week and no excuse even from the man. So um, I can only apologise to you. I do feel a level of commitment that we really should uh, up the ante it's way too sporadic, and I know you de- demand more from the Friday pod. Hello? Hello? Nathan? How's it going? Adrian here. Hi, Adrian. How are you? Um, myself and the Friday Football Podcast people have just spent the last mm, sort of five or six minutes shooting the breeze, waiting for you to get your uh, shit in gear. Well, at least I'm. it's good to see everyone else turned up, as always. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if you're sort of excusing yourself from not turning up. You're just taking a call. I do appreciate it's your day off, and so to that you end, you don't. You made... don't seem to appreciate no, no, that. It's, no, no, it's more I what don't. I would say. No, no, it's fair. It's fair point. It's fair point. It's a reasonable yeah. point. Um, so at least you've you've shown some level of commitment. I um, and you do seem to be in a playground or something like that. But you know, look at let's let's not pay <laughs> let's not pay too much heed to that and uh, crack on with the business they I had. make more sense than some of the people that are in there yeah, well that is accurate that is also quite accurate I was just explaining to our regular potters that I did feel some level of commitment to put something something together this week we haven't done it for the last while have we not did we not do one last week ah possibly but let's not worry too much about that um, we don't we certainly don't do them as, as often as we should do we're not doing them every week it's piss poor commitment um, but I was in uh, uh, Boston last week as you know and um, yeah, not quite, but yes, let's, you know, brush past that one. Um, was out for dinner uh, one of the nights on this, as you call it, uh, junket, and was at a table full of Boston media. Okay. And uh, so chatting away with the guy next to me, and then suddenly he says, oh, yeah, like, what's the relationship with you and the other guys on the Friday Football Podcast? Like, there seems to be a bit of an edge sometimes that there's a, just a bit of a nasty overtone. Right. Well, he guessed well, didn't he? I didn't he, think it came out on air, but clearly it does. I thought we were sort of regularly more polite to each other on the podcast. On air than off air? On the podcast particularly than, than we would have been like around the course of things around the office. But uh, he was... He did, was he, did he point any fingers in particular? Uh, he was saying that... you. Yeah, no, he did seem to... He had some sort of notion, if memory serves, that you seemed to get the tail end of things. That I was being hard done by? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Now, he probably had quite quite an amount of wine in him at that point, so, you know, how accurate that is or not. The so un- are you going un- to, is there going to be some sort of a formal apology here now? Unnamed journalist. Um, no, 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 I mean, I quite clearly sort of disputed this point and said, actually, he is the chief uh, stirrer of shit. <laughs> it's a bit harsh, isn't it? Um, who, who is this guy? Is he? He's well, one of our name many regular after, listeners. Is I can't he? name him now after saying that he lots of wine in him. Um, yeah, he works for one of the Irish US publications um, in Boston, and he yeah. listens to listens to this every week. Well, I, I, for so long, right? For so long, we've been trying to find out who our one subscriber was. Right, and, and now we know. I think it might be him. Is he telling his friends? Is he liking it on iTunes and all that? No, I did encourage him and everybody else at the table, the editor of the Boston Globe, 
um, and uh, somebody from Grantland and various other publications did sort of encourage them in that direction. But I mean, they're not really big into the soccer ball now, as you know, in that direction. So no, um, tough, tough, a tough sell, a tough sell. But in fairness, is... a tough sell in any uh, like regardless of whether they were into football or not. Um, let's t- stop talking shite and talk a little bit about the football um, this weekend. The uh, first game, a pretty interesting game on Saturday afternoon, Tottenham, Manchester City at White Hart Lane. It's a quarter to one start. And Nathan, uh, obviously that perfect five from five uh, from City to begin with. And everybody's already talking after you know five, six games of the season about City being um, running away with this thing. And then they end up losing to West Ham last time out. Obviously a lot of players um, injured uh, during the week as well. Maybe Aguero could be back for this trip to Tottenham at the weekend. But your sense, I mean, obviously there's maybe a couple of elements to this that probably City weren't, were never going to run away with the thing in the sense that we thought they would. And West Ham also have proven to be a pretty decent side under Billich. Yeah, well, they've obviously been pretty good away from home. Have they beaten now Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester City? Mm. So they're like a lot of the teams who are better set up away from home. I still think City should lead the whole way through. But if something was to happen to Aguero, they'd have a bit of an issue. And if something has happened to Aguero in the last two, three seasons that he hasn't played probably over 30 games, maybe just about 30 last season. And he hasn't really been looked fully fit at any stage this season. Obviously, he played in the Copa America, which maybe didn't help matters for him. And maybe he needed a bit more of a break. So he went World Cup one summer, Copa America another summer. But De Bruyne has settled in so quickly is obviously the big boost. Sterling has done okay, uh, even though he's had a couple of injury problems. I still think they look far, far better than than everyone else. So I wouldn't have any massive issues. I did this game last summer, actually, or last season, the end of last season. Right. Uh, where Spurs were lead, Spurs were beaten one nil. Sergio Aguero uh, scored the only goal. So uh, City have such an incredible record against Spurs. Spurs are same as they always were. Inconsistent. Harry Kane hasn't scored yet. Hard to see them getting anything out of this. Yeah. He says now. Yeah. Put that. Uh, I don't know what you've done with the phone there, but if you could sort of reintroduce yourself to the speaking part of it, that'd be immense. Um, they haven't. Spurs haven't kicked on in any way. Like, actually, I certainly felt that they would have done the season under Pochettino. Now, maybe they haven't necessarily bought all around them, but I kind of felt that he might have had that sort of betting in season last year, where perhaps he wasn't allowed to buy as many players as he might like. And that maybe this year would be the year they would uh, kick on a little bit. They lost, obviously, t- uh, to Arsenal in the uh, League Cup during the week. And shocking form over the early part of the season, losing four from four. And then they go and beat Sunderland Palace. I mean, I don't think we can read. I mean, that just masks over a problem rather than solving it. Yeah, they're, they're probably in a pretty similar position to Liverpool in that they've never fully recovered from losing their best player. And... You just look at the team. There seem to be typical Spurs. There's about four guys there who you could see going to a bigger club in two or three years. Like Deli Alley looks like a brilliant signing. Mm. Who's, what's he, just gone 20 maybe? But what do you hold out hope from first? That in two seasons maybe somebody big will come in and buy him? So I, there doesn't seem to be any long-term plan for investment at Spurs at the moment. So Paolo mm. Bandini is gone. Who's going to be making the signings? They don't seem to fully trust Pochettino to give them a huge amount of money. And when you see all the other clubs around spending a lot of money, it's it's kind of hard to see anything better than fifth or sixth for Spurs. And it's just the same as last season. Inconsistent. Same thing 
you don't they'll beat some teams they shouldn't beat and they'll lose the teams they should beat. That's a worry if the that trust thing would be a worry. My sense was always that last season they brought Pochettino with in with the T's and C's being that look, we're not gonna you're not gonna buy very many players over the but you gotta accept that and that maybe we'll do a bit of business later on rather than because I mean if it's a trust issue that points to a much bigger uh, problem in the club. Yeah, but is that not the issue with loads of clubs at the moment? That the owners are becoming more and more cautious. There's so much money coming in there. I finally want to take some of it back. I, I think there's there's quite a few clubs who maybe didn't spend what people would expect during the summer. Obviously, Arsenal are quite similar as well. Liverpool uh, did spend big, even though they got the money back from Sterling. So maybe Daniel Levy's looking at it and thinking, well, I spent a lot of money over lots of summers, and maybe we didn't get a huge amount of success out of that. Maybe we'll see how tightening the strings a little bit will go for a couple of years and will it make any difference will they still finish fifth or sixth maybe slightly contending for fourth probably alright that's the early game on the uh, Saturday 12.45 and then moving on to the later matches a lot of uh, nonsense here Stoke Bournemouth uh, West Ham Norwich to a lesser extent obviously and uh, to a much lesser extent Leicester Leicester Arsenal, Southampton and Swansea as well but Manchester United and Sunderland Nathan is our next port of call here uh, the John O'Shea Wes Brown Derby, as it's uh, <laughs> not known anywhere. Um, interesting Fergie comments this week. One extract from his new book saying that he uh, wanted Pep, Jose, Ancelotti, Klopp, and even LVG before eventually settling on uh, David Moyes as the chosen one, uh, or the chosen one in inverted uh, commas, I presume there. The others were unavailable, it seems, for one reason or another. Yeah. Uh, and Fergie running a mile from the stink was the main thing I thought about that. Yeah, did, did he actually say that, that all of those guys were before David Moyes or he that said they that were he more had... the other contenders? He kind well, of spoke into them and yeah. booked them out. Uh, it, look, ultimately, it's kind of difficult to tell. But, but he had dinner with Pep in 2012 and he said, I think his comment there was that it was just a bit too early uh, to have the conversation with with him at that point from Fergie's from Fergie's angle at that stage because he was nowhere near or certainly was nowhere near making public the fact that he was gonna um, that he was going to retire and then with the others like the account says you know that well you know LVG was tied up with Holland and Jose was doing his thing like there was a lot of insinuation of they were kind of tied up rather mm. than, rather than. Well, here was, you know, like, I think it amounts to the same thing in some ways, because why else is he talking about them other than they were top of his list? Yeah, I kind of think what was clear from the, the new book is that one of the reasons why he wanted Moyes to get the job was that he expected Moyes would just be a continuation of himself, which is sort of what we all as well in many ways. But that in that, so the backroom team was already in place, the senior players were already there, and basically David Moyes would slip in and work with all those people, and that's how the success would continue. Whereas Moyes sort of felt like a lot of people would in the same situation that he needed to be his own man. He needed to get rid of some people. He needed to bring in his own people around him and he needed to lay down the law quite early. Mm. And that clearly didn't work. Now, is that down to the stature of Moyes as a manager? Perhaps. If if Jose Mourinho had come in and done the exact same thing, I'm sure he would have done the exact same thing. Brought his own backroom staff in, got rid of a couple of senior players. Would he have got away with it? He probably would have. But I did kind of sense from Ferguson that he felt that he was leaving a pretty safe and steady ship with David Moyes and that everything was in place for the success to continue until Moyes just changed things needlessly. And that's kind of what's annoyed Ferguson. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and I don't know, and it's and it's um, I guess maybe it's almost impossible to decide whether that's sort of revisionism in his part or not. If there's a bit of a retrofit yeah, going on here, like I, I don't know if, if you've listened to David Moyes' interview with uh, yeah. with Graham Hunter. Yeah. Like you listen to that and you think it's such a shame that Moyes never worked out at United because he does come across as such an intelligent and thoughtful manager and has everything going for him and is such a student of the game and has a lot of the same characteristics as far as been. So maybe no matter who was going to take over, was going to be the wrong man for the job. Yeah. And and, and look, I totally agree with you. It's a fascinating listen um, to that podcast. But like... I, I never really thought any any differently about David Moyes. I have to say, like I mean, I always thought that was always the case anyway. But it's a very different thing being all of those things in a nice, quiet, calm, unpressurized environment. But suddenly, when the shit hits the fan, mm. it becomes a very different thing. So I don't know that necessarily there's a correlation with that. But it's just look, it's been interesting <clears throat> to listen to Fergie this week saying that uh, lots of stuff to say. Uh, he loves LVG in his press conferences, and maybe that's the sort of. Uh, clunky segue that gets us into to talk about LVG here. He uh, Fergie saying that it's going to take his uh, take time for LVG to succeed at United. Uh, and and by the way, this also points to a little bit of that kind of retrofit here. Uh, taking over for myself, he says it's going to take time to get his team on the pitch, which has completely whitewashed David Moyes from <coughs> United's history entirely. Um, but is it a fair point? And I I suppose I've kind of argued that over the last while that that it was going to take LVG time a to get his own players in. And even after that happened, to have, for them to have time to bet in. Yeah, well, I guess that goes back to when he took over very late in the summer after helping Holland to third in the World Cup. And that may have been a factor in how involved was he in the deal to bring out Gareth Dimoria to Manchester United. Perhaps this is the group of players that he wanted. He certainly seems to have them playing in a style of football already that he has now. Even though they're on a good run of form, I still don't think it's perfect having Carrick and Schweinsteiger in the middle of the field, it's very slow, it's very pedestrian, but they have spent a lot of money on Anthony Martial, and right now, he's hit the ground running, and he looks like the perfect sign. He's given them exactly what they've been missing, which is a focal point up top, and suddenly, we're not really talking about Wayne Rooney not scoring in 11, 12 Premier League games now, because when Martial has taken all the pressure off Rooney. Rooney's playing a little bit deeper again. And Martial just looks like a Manchester United striker. He looks like a Van Nistelrooy, a Van Persie, somebody who leads the line, tucks away goals beautifully. And it's clear that Rooney, is his, his form has fallen massively and he's struggling for confidence. So maybe the fact that Rooney, the pressure's off him, he can come back into a little bit of form and United will be fine. I still don't think they're good enough to win the league anywhere near it. And I still think Van Gaal might be found out. But Which uh, found out suggests that you are obviously in the LVG being a bluffer camp. Well, you can't just change your mind on the back of a couple of wins. Like A lot of this is built on Martial coming in and the win over Liverpool. Yet, at the same time, Liverpool are being destroyed for their performances over the last few weeks. Yet We're reading a lot into the fact that Manchester United beat them. So yeah. I, I, I think it's still a little bit too early to say that Van Gaal has it completely sussed. Um, but if Manchester City aren't all that and Chelsea are still struggling United might just have a way like Van Gaal does just have a way history shows he does just have a way of somehow getting it done and getting results yeah yeah. I'd, I, look I've, I've always said it all along that I think he, his look whatever I think, I think a huge factor in these things is actually nothing 
are, are not are nowhere near entirely to do with how tactically astute or how good of a man manager etc um, a manager is it's more much more to do with the force of personality and certainly that's the case with um, yeah. with LVG that he can like essentially they needed another Fergie type personality in there and I'm not saying that that, that to follow Fergie just out of coincidence that's the way he was but they needed somebody in there who you know and the point has been made several times yeah and like just he didn't really need United United needed him much more and that point's yeah. been made and I think it's yeah I think we said I think, like, I think we've spoken about that a lot uh, on the show and on the podcast that the thing above all else that Van Gaal has going for him is that he doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Mm. He's happy with his own history. He's ha- if, if it all finished now, he'd look back in his career and he'd be quietly satisfied. So he's not trying to impress anyone. He's not reading the press and going, oh, they, should, they think I should put in this guy or this guy or this guy. He'll just pick whatever t- team he wants and if it works, it works. I'm genuinely looking forward to the end of the season to his uh, post-season speech again and hopefully somebody uh, videos it as they did last season. <clears throat> um, you mentioned Liverpool. Uh, Brendan Rodgers has been before, before the media today. He's under huge pressure. They play Aston Villa on Saturday afternoon at Anfield. He's been before the press today and it's been really one of the early narratives of the season alongside yeah. uh, Jose Mourinho, obviously. So he's saying, uh, this is it really in a nutshell, he's a better manager um, now than the one who arrived there three years ago, which is pretty bloody obvious thing to say. Well, you would like to think it's a pretty obvious thing to say. He says he hopes to be a manager for 20 years, but that he respects that 20 years at Liverpool most likely won't be the case. I know we need to get results. I embrace that challenge. Um, it's all it's all very consistent with what Brendan Rodgers has delivered up to this point, and no great. I mean, you never, you know, you're never going to leave this morning's press conference with any sense that all right, Brendan Rodgers actually got this thing. People are looking to fit; they're looking for something in that press conference to fit around this ongoing narrative about Rodgers yeah. essentially not being up to it. Yeah, and he was in a no-win situation today. The way the pressure has gone and the way the speculation has gone, everyone expects him to lose his job. So what does he do? Does he come in, does he sit there and start crying and say, oh, maybe I just wasn't up to it? No, he has to come out. He has to come out with some way of saying that he wants to keep the job, that he thinks he should keep the job, without making himself look incredibly foolish in three weeks' time when he probably loses his job. So that, you know, he's not a complete laughing stock. Mm. I'm kind of caught in two minds. On Rogers, I, like I've covered Liverpool a few times this season. I was at Anfield last Sunday, and you can tell that the supporters have turned. The place was completely dead throughout the game, maybe for the five minutes after they scored the goal. But it's very unusual for Anfield to be just so quiet. And perhaps all his bluster and all his bullshitting is finally starting to catch up with him. Mm. To, with, with the supporters, he's sort of been found out. Because you get away with it once you're winning, all that sort of yeah. bullshit is totally acceptable. Now, now he has, the other problem that he has for the next few weeks is that, so they spent, what they spent between the two of them, 60, 60 70 million pounds on uh, Firmino and Benteke, their second and third highest ever transfer fees, and both of them are out yeah. for the foreseeable future. Lovren is out, okay. You might say that's, that's not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> it could have been a help, yeah. Jordan Henderson is out for the next couple of months as well. So mm. suddenly, a squad that's not that strong, the Blacks leader, is missing some very important players. That's not going to help him as well. And the other thing is with Rodgers, he has shown in the past that he normally does eventually figure out a way of getting it right. So you think back to last Christmas, mm. around the time of the United defeat and um, Arsenal. Yeah, and he switched yeah. to that. 
Now the problem is it takes him too long. You wonder did, if this time will be given the length of time. Do you recall that he switched that proactively or was that injury related or what was the what was the circumstance No, that? that was he he switched it the first match he played in was the Manchester United match where they yeah. actually lost. So you could say it, it didn't work. No, he, he kind of was trying to this was uh, as we chatted with John Giles many times on a Thursday night, he stayed up late one night to come up with this oh, new yes, system yeah, to basically yeah, try and get yeah, uh, yeah, some pace yeah. back in, into the Liverpool team. Yeah. I, I I do have, like Rodgers has always come across in his press conferences, at, say off mic to a certain degree, you know, as an extremely likeable person, someone who is quite emotionally attached to his job. And, you know, that's touched on, Michael Calvin was on the show recently about that in your book, he's other managers, and he touches on that with Rodgers as well. Rodgers is a very emotional character. But when he goes in front of the cameras, he turns into a robot who's spouting stuff that he's learned from a coaching course 10 years ago yeah. and that this is the way I must portray myself as Liverpool manager. So people can't really connect with him. And that, if, if, if maybe if he was just himself a little bit more, people might have a little bit more sympathy and get on with him. But, but there's no going like, back now. Like He's gone so far down that track of yeah. this sort of management speak and this idea that I am going to be shankly. Like, that he's yeah. just gone far too down that track, uh, too far down that track to turn back now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to see a way out, certainly from that. The only thing, as you say, you can put up with anything if you're winning matches. Mm. And Liverpool just haven't been doing that. And the problem they have is that they've a horrible run of away fixtures, like right from the start of the season. Their away fixtures are basically the top eight or top nine, the first eight or nine away fixtures from last season. So they have to win their home games and then try and pick up some decent results away from home. But, you know, losing at home to West Ham, throwing at home against a Norwich side who don't offer a huge amount, that means he has no get out at all when it comes to the away games. Same with Villa. Like, he has to win tomorrow against Villa, two or three nil. It has to be convincing to give him anything going into the Merseyside derby, which he probably then has to go on and win as well. The one thing I would say about Liverpool is, Liverpool finished where? This is the last season or did they drop six maybe on the last day? But mm. that's where Liverpool should be finishing. Anything else is overachievement. So, who who is going to come in? Who can come in in the short term and with the players that are there? You mean that in terms of their budget? Because obviously he's there long enough now for that to be his team rather than sort of, <laughs> you know, like inheriting a team and it not being his. Like, that's not an excuse any longer. Like, it's... You know, he's responsible for the money spent. So so what you're saying is, from a budget sense, they're not spending the sort of money that delivers anything beyond sixth. Yeah, I, fifth. I would say fifth, fifth and contending for fourth is where Liverpool rightly should be and generally are. Like, I know anyone listening is going to go, but look at the amount of money they spent during the summer. But look at who they've lost. They've lost Suarez, Sterling, Gerrard and essentially Sturridge since that team that almost and should have won the title. So... The biggest players in the world don't want to come to Liverpool. Like Manchester United are struggling to get the biggest players in the world right now. Mm. There's no way they want to come to Liverpool. So I actually look at last summer. Okay, you can go back to summer four and say Lovren, Lallana. But a lot of clubs wanted Lallana. You know, nobody could have predicted that Adam Lallana was going to be as poor as he has. Well, I mean, a lot of people predicted that he was going to be brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. And like this summer, I think Klein has been a really good signing. Um, Who else did they bring in? Milner. Okay, the bad game last week, but in general, yeah. it's steady. Ben Teke has shown yeah. signs. Firmino was a risk spending that amount of money on a player who hasn't a huge amount of experience in Europe. But even then, Liverpool have to take risks. Like That's why I've had this row around the office about Suarez and Torres. 
this is what Liverpool are doing. They're going to be buying guys for kind of 25 to 30 million in the hope that they become a Torres and become, go from being one of the best strikers in Europe to probably the best striker in Europe for six months. Or Suarez, a guy who everyone knew was talented but was obviously a bit crazy. And they turned him from that into one of the best players in the world. Now, you can't do that with every player. So, like, is Ancelotti, like, I wonder, I'd be very surprised if Ancelotti was interested in the job. And also, Ancelotti's always been more seen as someone who brings the best out of the very best players. Now, club could be different. Like, I think just the excitement club will bring to Liverpool. He seems to be, like, like club, you know that attachment he obviously had at, Dor- at Dortmund? Yeah. And it's, you know, like this guy who, like, when he leaves, he's crying. There's this huge emotional thing at the end of the season. And certainly this idea of a very strong um, thread between him and the club. And so, like, that's kind of also what Liverpool need. Like, yeah. somebody who's, like, that's, you know, and I, and I actually, Rodgers isn't really that sort of guy, in fairness. He's more of a this kind of detached winner at all costs sort of chap whereas there's something more emotional that probably would suit Liverpool a bit more about club. Well, yeah, I think that's maybe the point I was trying to get at that like a lot of people who know Rodgers will say, well, actually, Rodgers is quite emotional. Like he does feel a proper connection with the Liverpool supporters, but he also feels that a manager should act in a certain way and that's how he acts, whereas club just runs on his emotion completely. And in fact, yeah. like thinking about it more and more, like it could be a match made in heaven because the Liverpool supporters, the cop, want somebody who is a reflection of them sitting in the dugout, who feels it the way they feel it. Now, we, we could be having this conversation in six months and going, like, we've spoken about this with Newcastle, like, like mm. essentially, is that all bullshit as well? Yeah, well, it does. It probably is. It probably is to an extent. Um, and, like, I mean, it's just... Like, I don't ever... That point you make about Rodgers being this emotional guy, like, I ever... And having that attachment to the club, I never really feel that that's anything other than just bullshit you know like that I never I never feel I never have a sense of that in any other way than him actually saying it like I never feel by his actions yeah. or his, or other other contributions from him that that's anything other than him just trying to deliver a message rather than there actually being anything in it well that's because like we have to go back to this point time and time again all we can judge them on is what we see hmm. are the press conferences are the interviews we can't assume people to a certain degree are like anything so while people might tell us Rogers is this way behind closed doors that's no good really it doesn't make any difference you're judged on your public like from a supporter's point of view you're completely judged and that's why we often hear all the players love him because they see a different side of him some players love Nigel Pearson because you know he really looks after them whereas the media are like well he's a complete psycho yeah and he'd also done a decent job in fairness to all Nigel yeah. but uh, he's off I assume you're walking still pining, the, you're still pining for walking, Nigel walking the Carpathians Nathan as uh, right <laughs> taking on all comers <laughs> uh, Wolves was it Foxes fittingly something something along those lines Wolves uh, Wolves it was something with a bit of a threat about them alright yeah <laughs> Um, a bit of a threat about them. <laughs> uh, unlike Liverpool at the minute. Hey, Liverpool hey. Villa Saturday afternoon, um, and Leave a pretty, pretty sticky uh, to you. Pretty sticky uh, month ahead as well from a Liverpool perspective. Seven games across a month that also includes an international window. It's a busy time, so mm. um, I expect at the end of that we will have a much stronger uh, picture of where Brendan Rodgers are at, is at, or maybe we won't, uh, we'll be having an entirely different conversation. So we'll see how that goes. Newcastle-Chelsea is the late game on Saturday night. It's our last game to uh, chat about here. And we'll talk about Chelsea just uh, if we can. Nathan, the Costa story for me is sort of boring really a little bit at this stage. He's a bit of a thug. His teammates love him. Opponents hate him. Do you um, like him? And we kind of move on. Um, not particularly, but I yeah. do understand why... 
and no, I'm, I'm sorry, when I say not particularly, I thought he was an, an, like an outrage, an outrageous thug uh, the other weekend. I did say it's boring and I don't want to talk about it, but I like, yeah, that's what I felt about him. But I do understand the dynamic of what he's doing and like the idiocy of um, opponents who get involved with him is sort of like Kishalny did the exact right thing and didn't engage with him whatsoever. I mean, he headbutted him and Kishalny just got up and sort of cracked on. Whereas himself and Gabriel, as John Giles calls him, um, <laughs> got a, got a little bit involved, and like they have history and all that. Kind of, I just think it's not. I just think it's nonsense. I think it's bullshit. I don't understand how Arsene Wenger doesn't say to his players, "This guy is going to try and rile you. Just leave him alone. Leave him at it. He'd get himself sent off." I don't understand it. Um, I did tell we were going to talk about it. You got it out of your system. That's the main thing. Um, the d- pretty dire Chelsea run obviously um, ended with that 2-0 win at home to Arsenal on Saturday. Mourinho's been back out today. He really can't help himself. He's back in the press and he's basically rehashing the quotes about uh, Wenger being a serial loser um, again today. So they beat Arsenal, then they beat um, Walsall in the League Cup and Arsenal just their second league win probably doesn't necessarily suggest a greater turn, Nathan. Although, I mean, Newcastle, there could be worse games for Chelsea at this point. Yeah, you would think it's a perfect game and suddenly they might be able to get a bit of momentum. What are they, still eight points behind Manchester City? So mm. suddenly it doesn't look quite as bad. There's still something of a spark missing. Like They turned that into a little bit of a dogfight against Arsenal, which suited them perfectly. Yeah. And that's kind of how they won most of their games at the end of last season. You've got to imagine most teams won't let them do that and most teams will stand up to them a little bit better. I can't imagine Newcastle are that team. Again, talking to some of the Newcastle reporters at the start of the season, they were feeling a little bit confident for the first time in about three years. <laughs> and here we are, all these players they brought in during the summer have nearly all been flops. Uh, Tolvan played, was it his first start during the week against Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup? He got one out of ten. Uh, the first time in a couple of years that one of the Newcastle papers had given somebody one out of ten. Yeah. He just walked around like he had zero interest, couldn't care less. And... Steve McLaren, some might say, was a strange appointment considering Derby sort of fell apart at the end of last season. But managers are sort of exempt from blame at Newcastle. But I think I think Chelsea win this. I just can't figure them out whether they can get that spark back or if there's a spark there. Are we just a week away from Mourinho doing something again? And there's been another controversy of something yeah. else cropping up. Because a lot of his players, I mean, I think the... If I'm reading correctly, the point that you're making is that a lot of his key players this season, and maybe that was particularly relevant over those first kind of four games, had really just gone totally off the boil, were shadows of themselves, um, of, of the players they were last season. And, and you know, and so Mourinho is this guy who, like everybody speaks about, you know, Falcao goes there and everybody says, well, you know, there's one man that can get the best out of them. And it feels a little bit actually in the overall sense on that point and a couple of others that maybe that sort of Jose Mourinho veil of invincibility is like slipping a little bit up, I mean, up to now he's been yeah. sort of like you know a lot of his own comments and commentaries tended to be fairly controlled or like definitely targeted you know but recently it kind of feels a bit more contrived and obviously the Eva Canero stuff which hasn't helped and reflects very poorly on him and even Chelsea fans are um, starting to have a bit of a go at him so maybe like when you get the meeting of all those little factors that maybe this stuff is no surprise. Yeah, uh, the, the other issue with all of that is that Mourinho tends not to let that happen where it's his reputation to get damaged. If he's going down, he brings everyone else down with him. Mm. So that's why you'd wonder what else 
they, they can't, they've already had so much controversy and they've already dropped so many points that they can't afford it to happen too often again over the next couple of months because everything just becomes this massive shitstorm at the moment mm-hmm. and it pisses Mourinho off more and more and he gets crankier and crankier with the press. This Eva Carniero story is unlikely to go away over the next Oh, I few think it's weeks. going to get bigger. This, this, is abs- so, this is going nowhere, yeah. So that that's why it's... I always struggle with Chelsea, with Mourinho, to worry too much about what's happening on the pitch. So even if they win the next couple of games, you know they're just a draw or a defeat away from some sort of controversy. Yeah. Interesting to see him hugging John Terry after the game the other day. He was an unused yeah. uh, sub and it was all very interesting. And obviously they've had their little sort of a spat over the last while and maybe Mourinho has now decided that, Jesus, I really, sh- this is a guy I need to uh, kind of keep close to me. Yeah, I, 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 I don't. I, I know you kind of feel that maybe this is something huge. Like John Terry is thirty-four, so he's not going to play every game. They might have the way it was handled. Maybe wasn't the best, and maybe Terry was a bit frustrated about it. But I don't think John Terry's going anywhere, and he knows that. And he knows probably the best thing for him is remember John Terry was out the side five years ago when yeah, Rafa yeah. Benitez was there, or three years ago when Rafa Benitez was there. So he knows Mourinho is the best thing for him and presumably he knows he'll play in a lot of important games during the season also the transfer window's closed if it comes down to a straight fight between Mourinho and Terry which side the Chelsea fans come down on well I don't know yeah. I, I know, I know yeah, it is, that's what I mean <laughs> because, I because, like all those factors that are mentioned maybe sort of contribute to that Nathan we're going to get uh, kicked out of here George Hook is as we speak oh. bounding beating a path to the studio <laughs> so I'm going to get kicked out but I do before we go I definitely do want to apologise. I feel bad. I abused you at the start of the show. You wouldn't answer the phone. You're ignoring the Friday Football Podcast. Um, but yes, yes, I was the, the context only one to is actually... you were the only one to get engaged. You were spending the day with your kids and you've taken time out. I and the listeners appreciate it. I, I don't know if you're being sarcastic or not now. I'm actually being, I'm being, I'm being genuine. I'm being genuine. Thanks, Adrian. You're being sarcastic. I'm being genuine. That's fine. The listeners understand. They've been with me over the last half an hour thereabouts. Nathan, go forth and enjoy the rest of your day. And there's lots of coverage to come over the weekend. Good luck.